0: Thank you, April. So that's a fallout. Um, so you can see that um, Benji, who was uh, holding the tablet, he was uh, he's seen something else, and Ethan Hunt is seeing something else, right? So uh, the whole uh, idea of this uh, chapter is, what do you see? What are you seeing, right? Are you seeing two D, <laughs> or are you seeing the actual what Ethan Hunt's doing? Now, amazingly enough, um, Tom Cruise did all the stunts uh, on this movie, and he's like what fifty. Fifty-six, right? Fifty-six years old. Yeah, Christian science. <laughs> right? Way to go, Christian Scientology. All right, uh, anyway. So that's another religion you could, uh, you know, toy around with. Um, anyway, so, uh, so the whole idea is do you see? Like, uh, and why do I say that? Well, here we go. Like, just like a Benji, just like a Ethan Hunt, this scene, uh, it's, it kind of like uh, works with us, too. So when we see something, it's interesting how our brain works. When we see something, if our brain is not, if it's foreign to us, what we see, there's ways of our brain you know, immediately work. It either goes into a defense mechanism, triggers it, and say, oh, foreign, right? I don't understand it, I'm not used to it, I'm not familiar with it. So then sometimes people would, like from some of us, we would run away, right? That's our defense, right? Oh, you know, uh, dangerous. Might be dangerous, might be unknown. Let me get out of it. Or our brains are sometimes wired. This is just natural. This is how we do it. uh, Normally, naturally do things. Is that uh, we try to attach some familiarity with it. It's called analogous, right? Uh, Like uh, what is what is similar. So I see like a a person's uh, attitude or whatever, or I see something really uh, just unusual. So I try to find something of that person or that thing that is that I'm familiar with, and I'll attach that, and then generalize. So let's say uh, uh, I see Brian, right? Right over there, and then, oh, tall Chinese guy, right? And then I know many tall Chinese guys. They're not trusted, they can't be trusted. So, you know, so then it's like, okay, I don't know him, but then I'll just put that impression on him right now so that uh, I would you know be safe, you know, I know how to encounter him. You, you get what I'm talking about? That's how our brain works too. But at at other times, there's also triggers, (laughs) interesting enough. So we look for the trigger mechanism. So here's an example. No one knew who uh, my uh, classmate was when I brought her in to teach uh, a class, a Sunday school class at church. Uh, This is a Chinese church. And so I go, you know what's never been taught in this adult Sunday school? Genesis. So then I said, wouldn't it be cool to learn a more academic theological approach to Genesis? And I thought, hey, you know what? My classmate, awesome at it. She has a thesis on it. She does a she's she did a masters on it. And uh, and up, so I invited her in. Lo and behold, on the first day, there were a lot of people. I go, there are so, there's a lot of people that I don't really have, I've never seen before. In fact, they're from the they're from the Chinese congregation. You know, like uh, you know from the other side. And they were attending. I'm like, great. But little did I know, they were just there to be like cops, right? They were there to like a scope, making sure that everything's taught right. Because she, they don't know her that well. Do you know what they really wanna know? They just wanted to hear one word coming out of her mouth, one. And if she never said it, it's okay. But if she said it, she's gone. What do you think that word is when you're teaching Genesis in a conservative church? Evolution. And so when, uh, uh, when my friend, spoke that one word, and she said, evolution is one of the Christian views. They didn't even bother hearing one of the Christian views. Once they heard evolution, that's it, they wrote her off. That's it, she's gone. They didn't even understand, they they just triggered. You know, our brains are so wired that way that we expect certain things that if we hear something and it triggers us, we just write it off on the rest of the stuff. Just try it out on yourself. We do that often. Here's another one. Uh, I have a good friend, and uh, actually Janice knows her quite well because she's, she's her boss still. <laughs> it's like um, Shayla Visser uh, went to C2C. Uh, C2C is a, a church conference. All men, white, burly men with plaid shirts, untucked jeans, like for some reason it's like stereotyped. It's like, I was the only one in a suit. <laughs> the only Asian guy too. And then, uh, uh, so Shayla went up there She did her, uh, she had a speaking uh, part in in the conference, and when she went up there, because these men are from that background where women shouldn't teach, women shouldn't teach the Bible, once she quoted verses, you should have seen some of them. Some of them left the room, the auditorium, some of them just ignored her, and some of them just started checking their phones. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Like, uh, just because of that trigger, our brains suddenly just wired to a way that we just write people off like that so quickly. And that's what's going on here in Luke 18. It's no wonder that Luke combines stories and it, and it had a lot to do with see and perceiving. The word seeing and perceiving and understanding has a lot to do with our eyes and for some reason he put them all together in Luke 18 and made it as a, as a repetitive theme. Why would he do that? Well, let's go on. If you have your Bibles, let's turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. He's going to Jerusalem now, folks. Jesus. He's heading there. He's fulfilling prophecy. A lot of these uh, Israelites, these Jews, they know their books. They know the books of the Bible and the Old Testament. They know the prophecies. What is Jesus right now? What do they want Jesus to be? Oh, wait. Next slide. They want him to be Captain America, right? Remember? They want him to be the warrior, the military warrior, to lead them into battle, to go into Jerusalem, take over the temple, make that into a kingdom, a palace, just like King David did, and then have this whole 12 disciples to be his right-hand men, okay? To clear out all the corrupt priests, to get rid of the sinners, happy birthday, Paddock, and also to uh, to get rid of the Romans, the big bad Romans right? So that's what they wanted. So when they knew that Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem now, it is time to go to Jerusalem. What are they thinking? Woohoo! Finally, Jesus is doing something we wanted him to do, right? He's been circling around forever, but now he's going into Jerusalem. Sure, he went into Samaria to talk with Samaritans, we'll forgive him for that, <laughs> right? Sure, he, he, he touched lepers, we'll forgive him for that. Sure, he, he t- t- like healed some blind people and uh, forgave the sins. Yeah, that one was just a blip on the radar, we'll forgive him for that. But now, he's heading to Jerusalem. He's at the doorstep of the temple. He's finally fulfilling what we want him to do, <laughs> right? That's it, That's the, everybody's focused on verse 31. You follow? He's finally going to Jerusalem. The son of man, Daniel, the son of man coming down. Ezekiel, the son of man, finally is going to wipe out all those rebels in Jerusalem and cleanse the temple and finally sit on the throne and bring God in, defeat Thanos, and boom, right? Everything's going to be back to normal. Life will be good. But then, what did Jesus say in verse 32? He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. Wait a minute. The Jews are thinking, the last time I saw Endgame, Captain America didn't lose. Right? They probably had Endgame back then, but it wasn't, you know. Anyway, like they would say, Captain America can't lose. Good guys never lose. Good guys win, right? So then, they were so focused on verse 31, I don't even think that they even knew what he said in verse 32, right? Think about it. They are so focused at the 31, sort of like us. We want Jesus to do our thing. We want him to do that one thing. We pray for it all the time. We want Jesus to do that. Yet when he talks to us and when it's something that's contrary to what we want, I wonder if we don't listen because we're so fixated. Just like what I said about how our brains work, we're so fixated on what it's familiar to us, fixated to what we want, that we neglect to actually hear and listen and understand what he's trying to tell us in the latter part. Jesus says, I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. I will be delivered to the Romans, the hated Romans, and I will be killed by them. Yet the, yet the disciples go, no you can't. In their mind, subconsciously, no you can't. I'm gonna focus on verse 31, not going on to verse 32. Nonsense. Good people don't lose. Good people cannot be conquered by bad people. That's what they think. Jesus, you're our warrior. You're our leader. How can, You're our savior. How can you possibly be handed over to the Romans? Nonsense. Let's move on. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. He replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Remember this. When we are approaching this passage here, the context is that they were expecting Jesus to be Captain America, right? Again, they completely ignored him to die uh, uh, in the hands of the Gentiles. They didn't really see him as God, right? Because remember, they like, God that like a, a, Jesus says a claim that he was God, but then they, a lot of them said, "Wait a minute, but God forgives sins, but you're your forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins, right? God can only heal. How can you? so they're still confused about that part. So when Jesus approached this blind man, when the blind man heard him, what did he say first? Jesus, uh, the people said, "Jesus of Nazareth is passing by." All right, that's key, because that really just sums up how the people the The crowd saw Jesus. Nazareth. What do you think of when you think of Nazareth? (laughs) It's a rhetorical question. Don't don't worry about it. All right? So we have to go back. We have to touch a little bit of the other Gospels and how people saw people from Nazareth. All right? Okay. Do I have it on the screen? Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so it was fulfilled that was said through the prophets that he would be called a? Nazarene. Nazarene. One popular Nazarene dude is who in the Old Testament? Right, Samson, thank you, Janice. You get a gold star, <laughs> okay. Oh, it was Vivian, okay. Oh, he, he stole her star. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Samson, I saw that's the picture right there, Samson. Samson the Nazarene, can anyone tell me the story? Okay, actually you don't have to. Let's work through the story, a little bit of a quick story here. Samson, who was he supposed to defeat? Big bad, Philistines, Philistines, right? Are Philistines Jews? Uh Uh-uh, right? They were foreigners, right? So Samson was called by God to be a Nazarene. Nazarene, so they're, they're they're supposed to be defeating the enemies of the Jews. That works quite well for the Jews of now, in Jesus' time, doesn't it? Doesn't that fulfill their expectations? Jesus from Nazareth is a Nazarene. That means he's going to be like Samson. And he's going to defeat the Romans just like he was supposed to be, just like Samson was supposed to be called to defeat the Philistines. You follow? And that's why, when the blind man goes, hey, who's coming? They wouldn't say Jesus the Messiah or Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. They would say Jesus from Nazareth, who will be called the Nazarene. That's what the crowd was expecting. Captain America. Again. So again, Not just the disciples, but the crowd wanted Jesus to be this strong guy, this mighty warrior that will lead them. However, why did the crowd rebuke the blind man? What did he say? Well, let's take a look. The blind guy said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Twice, right? Twice. Jesus, son of David. Not that bad. That's a good, That's what people wanted, right? Like, the son of David, that's exactly what they expected. They wanted Jesus to be the son of David, the warrior, the king, the next king that will, you know, get on the throne. And David was a warrior too, so no big deal, the son of David part. What did the crowd really got irked on? Have mercy on me. He's blind, and he's asking for mercy If you recall, when the disciples and Jesus passed by another blind man, what the disciples asked, who sinned, the parents or he, that that he's blind? Jesus says, neither, for the will of God will be shown through him. Now, that's the mentality of the Jews back then. The reason why you're sick, the reason why you're blind, the reason why bad things are happening to you, is quite possibly, and most likely, you sinned. And so the only way to be healed is in the Old Testament way. And how's, what's that? To be excommunicated, go out into the desert, pray like you've never prayed before, and hopefully God will show mercy on you. To give you something you do not deserve, and to prevent something that's happening to you that you deserve, which is heal you from your sickness. You follow? Then when you're healed from the sickness, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go to the temple, don't touch anyone, wear a mask if you have to, and then go to the temple and uh, the priests have to be a triage and say, yeah, yes, you're good. You're healed. You're fine. You're, You're clean now. Go back into the community and be reacquainted. Nowhere does it say a human being does the healing, right? Only God can. God can show you mercy. God can heal you. What does the blind man see? Well, he can't see right now. But what does the blind man say? Jesus, son of David, good for the crowd. Not good for the crowd is, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, meaning heal me, but have mercy on me. Forgive my sins, forgive me. This blind man sees something way beyond what the crowd saw, how the crowd saw Jesus. The crowds only saw him as son of David. The blind man, what does he say? Have mercy on me. That is one thing that the crowd couldn't see. Even the disciples couldn't see. See, by saying that uh, to Jesus, to, to, to associate Jesus as God is actually a no-no in the Jewish culture, right? It's like, uh, it's like saying that, uh, like, because Jews really do not believe that Jesus was God. And when you put a human being right synonymous with, uh, with God, it's a no-no, and that's blasphemy. And so the, uh, the, the Jews are actually here. Why did they rebuke him? Well, rebuke is not a bad thing. Rebuke is actually to say to help somebody, to prevent any more bad stuff happening to you, right? It's like me uh, telling uh, uh, you and rebuke you to not drink so much, right, because bad things will happen to you. Well, same as the, the, the Jews here. They're actually trying to do this blind man a favor by rebuking him. Shh, right? Don't say that. Don't, don't, don't like, don't attribute Jesus as God or else you're gonna be blasphemy and, and then God will actually inflict you with even more pain. Yes, you miss your eyes, but you miss your legs? Because he might even like take away your legs, right? But then the blind man ignored that and he said it again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that was it. He kept on going and going. Why would he do that? Because he sees something again. He sees something of Jesus that no one else saw. That Jesus can forgive sins and that Jesus can heal. But that's why he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Why did he stop? Why did he? Why didn't he stop on the first cry? Why? Why the second time? Well, here's here's one thing that I wonder. Uh, for me, I'm quite dense, right? Sometimes uh, people need to uh, tell me more than just once, maybe twice, maybe three times, right? And I think it is for the benefit of the crowd, right? Not really for the man, but for the crowd, because. Sometimes we need people to yell at us more than once to get the point across. And for Jesus, he knew who was, a, who was following him and who was surrounding him. Were people like, they you want know, Captain America. But Jesus goes, no, I'm not that. But how am I supposed to get the, the people to uh, get my point across? Well, allow the, the blind man to yell more than once. Yell it twice. And actually, okay, so that's for the crowd, but also for the blind man, if you think about it, that really increases his faith, doesn't it? Because remember, he's already being rebuked once. He's already given a warning. Usually people give up by then. But he says, no, I believe that Jesus is more than that. I believe that he's more than that. I believe that he, he can heal, I can. he can forgive me and heal me. So he yells it again. And I wonder for us, that sometimes when we need to get, uh, listen to God, we need to be that even more than just once. That, that that when we hear it more than once, I think it's serious. If we if we hear more than once the voice of God telling us no, or the voice of God telling us no, you're you're on the wrong route. If the, if your friends or or good uh, friends who are Christ-centered and Jesus-centered and mature, spiritually mature, and you know are you know that are mentoring you and say, look, you know you are going on the wrong route and you hear it more than once, maybe twice, three times, we should take heed to that. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, reminding us of who is really the Lord of our lives. And for for here, not only does it tell the crowd, but also helps the blind man to actually strengthen his faith. To actually realize, no, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna jump and make that sacrifice and believe this. And I'm gonna yell it again. You follow? So, the blind man that does it again, what does does he say? He says something, Lord, have mercy on me. Ah, Lord, I wanna see. Lord, that's what this blind man would believe who Jesus was, his Lord, God. Lord, I wanna see. He really got everyone's attention now. And then he said, Lord, I know, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to see. Not just some Captain America who has solved uh, people's little social problems. No, he knew that Jesus was not there to just comfort him, pat him on the back. He knew that Jesus was not there to give boost his self-esteem. He knew that Jesus was his Lord. And that's where he says, Lord, I want to see. That is like the most simplest believer's prayer ever. You think about it. Jesus, I want to see that you're God. And Jesus heals him. How about us? Let's reflect on that a little bit before we move on. How do you see Jesus? Do you see Do you see Jesus like the crowd? I think so. Some of us. I know that some of us uh, use Jesus as a token, like of uh, just say, "Oh, you know what? I'm a Christian. You trust me, right? Let's do business, <laughs> right? Or 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 Oh, I believe in Jesus because I want to get into that school." Right or I believe in Jesus because of this or that, and then sometimes I like, you know, I was an intern and I was baptizing teenagers uh, back then with uh, along with my uh, senior pastor. Most of their testimonies about self-esteem. Yeah, I failed my divorce, and uh, you know I felt really horrible. Or she dumped me. Or you know like whatever, and then they get baptized for the reason of oh when Jesus came into my life and I uh, realigned and have Him as Lord of my life, I feel so much better, right? Like, come on, right? Like, Jesus is not your little, like, lucky charm, right? Like, Jesus is not there to give you a pat on the back and to boost your self-esteem. Like, you know what Jesus is there for? To wipe out every single nook and cranny of the things that you have in your life and make sure that he's Lord of your life. That is dictatorship, right there, right? He's not there, you're not gonna choose him. No, he chooses you, right? That's what he said, right? It's not democracy there, man. Right? You can't vote for Jesus to be his, your Messiah. He is your Messiah, <laughs> right? So really, Jesus is not here to play around. We already visit that uh, chapter already. You either believe him or you don't, and you go throw into hell. Easy, right? And th- that's why Jesus says, don't toy around with me, folks. I am not here to solve your little problems. I'm not here to boost your self-esteem. I'm not here to pat you on the back with you give the comfort. I'm not here to pass your stinking exam. I'm not here to help you to pass an exam. I'm not here to give you a better job. I'm not here to give you a spouse. I'm not here to do that. I am your freaking Lord of your life. And I need to be in your life and be the Lord of your life. I'm the God. That's what Jesus says. I'm the one who created the heavens and the earth. I am the one that could go like this and you're gone. We got to respect him that. And this blind man did put him like with the utmost respect, Lord, Have mercy on me, because I know that I am not worthy. Lord, you are my Lord, and help me to see that you are." And I think that's our prayer today, too. Time and time again, we need that. Let's move on. Luke 19, going to the first verse. Jesus entered at Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Verse six, so he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Oh man, we have another tax collector here. How many tax collectors are we going to encounter? Right? So here's another one Zacchaeus. He's short. We know that. You know, I had my uh, encounters with short people. <laughs> with people who are shorter than me. I had a boss that was shorter than me by a foot. Right, he was like right here. And I must say, they're able to compensate. Uh, they, they're, they're quite feisty, right? Like, anecdotal, anecdotal observations this is my observations. And, uh, and they're quite feisty, they, they fight. They know how to fight. They know how to fight it out, and uh, and you know get onto the top because they know of their physical um, uh, physical like, uh, shortness, right? Zacchaeus knew that, and he fought his way up. I'm sure of it. Look, he's the. What did they say about him? He is the chief task collector. You know, back then, like physical physical estature, stature was very important. If you look at uh, the Greek uh, statues, if you look at the Roman statues, what do they have? They minimum average of six foot foot two, six foot two or six foot three, those statues. And so very physicality is a big thing for them, right? Even Jesus was physically strong and tall. So for Zacchaeus to get to that point, he had to be very smart, very cunning, and fight. He knew that. He had to all his life to get to that position, right? And for Zacchaeus to be a tax collector, that's even worse, right? Because he's a Jew and he collects his taxes from Jews. So he's known as a traitor as well. So not only is he short, not only did he have to fight for his living, but then he doesn't even have the respect from his people, right? The Pharisees didn't even like him. The, the chief priest, well, they never liked him because he's the taxman and the chief priests are very wealthy, so you know, wealthy people don't like tax people. So therefore, he's, he's ostracized all his life, yet he had to fight for it. He had to fight for his living. So don't knock on Zacchaeus right away, all right? This man had, is probably like many of us right now. We fight, we work really hard, just like Zacchaeus. And sometimes, we don't get the respect from people like And just like Zacchaeus as well. Now, Zacchaeus, though, he hears about Jesus. He hears about this, uh, about this Jesus being so wise and, you know, in proving a lot of the Pharisees wrong, proving a lot of the chief priests wrong, proving the Sadducees wrong. And he goes, wait a minute. These are the very folks that actually hate me, telling me that I will never have a chance to get into the kingdom of God, ever because I'm a tax collector. I'm like the worst sinner of the sinners. That's what he's been told. Yet, the fair, yet Jesus is right now stumping the very people that are telling him that you can't make it. So what do you think Zacchaeus is going through is in his mind? Now he's a fighter, right? He goes, maybe, just maybe, Jesus is right and they're wrong. Maybe there is a chance for me to get into the kingdom of God. Maybe there's a chance for the worst, sinner, the, most, the worst sinner of them all to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus seems to know more than these guys do. And Jesus seems to be able to heal people. Jesus seems to be at like, like offers mercy and forgiveness. Maybe this man is able to welcome me into the kingdom of God. Why do I say that? It's because when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, What did he say? Let me go to your house. I want to go to your house. I want to go into your life. I want to go into your life, your house, your home. I want to go in and redeem you. I want to go into your secrets. I want to go into where you stay, where you live, where you find comfort, and I want to be in there, in you. Wait a minute, for a Jew to associate with a sinner, that's not right, because that would affect, that would infect the Jew, right? We've come to know that through our studies. And then for, for Jesus, being the perfect Jew that everyone thinks he is, approaches Zacchaeus and goes, I wanna go into your dwelling, I wanna be in your life, that's like touching somebody and then like risking your Jewishness away. Think about it. He's risking to become part of him. Risking to be part of like, to get that blemish onto himself. So the people going, why are you doing that Jesus? Why are you risking it? Because you're perfect. You're a perfect Jew. You follow the law, you're everything to us. Why are you willing to risk to go into Zacchaeus life and be part of his blemish? Why would you want to share his sinfulness? Yet when Zacchaeus heard that, that's amazing. You mean to tell me the perfect Jew, the perfect human being is willing to step that low to pick me up? To actually enter into my life to redeem it so that I could have a chance to be part of the kingdom of God again? That's truly amazing. No wonder Zacchaeus was so excited. No wonder he he jumped off the tree. Look, we have a sinner here knowing full well that no Jew wants to associate with him. We only know no Jew would want to even touch him. Don't even want to go to his home. Don't even want to be friend with him because everybody ri- thinking that they might risk their Jewishness, risk their chance to get into the kingdom of heaven. Yet Jesus, just like he did with the lepers, says, no, I want to associate with you. I want to be unite with you to cleanse you. And I want, you to, I want to go into your space, your home. What does that mean for us? For those of us who may even think that we're like, oh, that's it, we sin the worst sin of them all. For some of us who may think that, you know, we play the blame thing and it's like, we blame ourselves for all the wrongs that we've done and we made so many mistakes. Think about it, and you've worked very hard and you're, you're still being a little ostracized and you feel that you're just dirty and that no one really wants to associate with you. Remember this, remember this story. Jesus is actually not afraid. He's beyond the Jew. He's beyond a human being. He's God, and God wants to enter into our lives and clean it up. He wants to be our God, and he wants to stay in our lives, to reside in our lives to redeem them. Wow, what an amazing truth. That's why Zacchaeus was so excited to get off that tree that he finally realized that, wow, this is not just any Jew. This is beyond just a normal human being. This must be God. And so, when Jesus went into the household, uh, house of Zacchaeus, they dined and everything, and then uh, Zacchaeus, without even Jesus asking, said this, "'Lord, Lord, hear now, "'and I give half of my possessions to the poor, "'and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, "'I will pay back four times the amount.'" did, did Jesus even ask him to do that? No. But Zacchaeus experienced so much grace and mercy from Jesus, experienced the love that, he had, that, that Jesus had, which is from God, experienced that forgiveness and redemption, he couldn't help but to give. He couldn't help but to turn his life around. And I wonder about us today, right now. A lot of us, including myself, we were scared into salvation. Just, just as, you know, because I'm sure a lot of us, were taught like this. If you sin, you, and if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell, right? And then you're going to burn, burn for life, burn until your bones are like bleached, right? And it's that type of thing, right? That's not right. Will you change your life because of that? No. Gee, Zacchaeus, though, is telling us, maybe it's time to relook at our salvation, look at our faith. How did we come to faith in the beginning? Were we scared to salvation? If we were, let's start again. Because maybe it's time to actually come to Jesus, receiving by because we, we come to Jesus because we received his grace and mercy, his forgiveness, his new life, the life that he gives us. The reason why we come to Jesus is because we feel that the Holy Spirit is now moving us, it's actually making us new. Maybe that it's something that we need to relook at for us. Maybe it's, that is something that we need to see how Jesus is. Maybe we need to see Jesus differently in that regard, because for us, if we see that if it, we if we see Jesus as this, uh, well, how they see it, and we see God as this uh, overbearing and uh, unmerciful God and who only chooses whether to heal the good ones, right, and then the, and then scares us to salvation, I think that's the wrong perspective. Perspective. We will never have our lives changed if we're scared, if we're out of fear. I think that the reason why Zacchaeus changes his life around so quickly was because he experienced the grace and mercy from God, the grace and mercy that Jesus offered to him. And he said, and Jesus says, salvation has now come to this house because of it. What joy, what fullness, the magnitude of fullness of joy in the, and oh, to have a relationship with him in that regard, in that way. To receive the grace and mercy from God, in that regard. So, how do you see Jesus now? How do you see Jesus now? Do you see him still as a person that points fingers at every wrongdoing that you do, and then you are ashamed and you cannot approach him anymore? That, that like, oh, I've done the like the worst of the worst, and now how can he possibly uh, like? Uh, like, uh, save me? Or do you see Jesus as somebody that will offer you grace and mercy? That actually desires to come into your life to be the Lord? To be no longer be treated like somebody that is like your lucky charm or to, to solve your problems. But to be actually your Lord to give you full life that he has for you. Because that's how he, how he wants us to see him.